listening is the number one best thing that you can do for anybody in any sort of relationship, business or interpersonal is people want to feel like they're understood. When they feel like they're understood, that makes them happy. And then they associate that happiness with you. CEOs often feel stuck in the grind of scaling their business and feel like they're missing out on the best parts of life, like family, friends, or travel. On this podcast, CEOs come to take themselves and their companies to the next level. Let's dive into the Millionaire Mind with your host, Dallin Schultz. Hey, welcome back to another Millionaire Mind episode where I have some of the most successful business owners sharing what motivates them to get out of bed every morning and how they elevate themselves and their companies to the next level. There's a lot of reoccurring themes on the show and through our guests, but what you're going to get today is once again, the (laughs) importance of massive action and consistent action over and over and over, and really being able to recognize and identify opportunities given some previous experience. So really excited to have our guest on the show today to invite you into his journey of entrepreneurship as we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. So without further ado, special welcome to our guest, Jordan Tallman. Jordan, appreciate you joining us today. Hey, Down, thanks for having me. Hello to the guests. Thanks for listening, guys. Excited to get started today. Yeah, these are always a lot of fun because it ends up turning into just a conversation between you and I and our guests get to listen in on it. So selfishly, I started this podcast, part one of the reasons so I could connect with people like you, Jordan. So definitely looking forward to it. But why don't you take a couple minutes and just share with our listener a little bit more about who you are and what you do? People like me, that's a big compliment, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my ultimate goal is to get to $100 million in revenue inside of my staffing company by 2030. So it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. And just to kind of give you guys <laughs> like how far I'm at on that goal, this last year, 2023, we did about $2.5 million in revenue. 2021, we did 2.5. Then 2020, we did a million. So not quite to that $100 million mark, but the ultimate North Star is that's kind of what guides all my decision making is, hey, this is where I want to go. How much stress do I need to take on? How scared do I need to be? Let's be that scared and be that stressed out. So that's part of the journey. But no, I'm kind of overplaying it, man. I really enjoy what I do. There's just a lot to it. So there is. And any business owner, any entrepreneur will admit that. And I think one thing we get really good at is just looking like things are calm and good and going all peachy when perhaps just hitting the fan and uh, (laughs) in some situations, but we're able to maintain that composure and make the decisions that we need to make to run a successful business. So, well, awesome. Yeah. And that's incredible. And the fact that you did over a million dollars in your first year, that's a pretty big win. When most businesses fail in their first year, like that's a pretty significant win. So, yeah, I started off pretty hot. And it was literally one of the themes that you were saying is massive action. It was more consistent action is what I would say. It was little action. I started off as a recruiter working for another recruiting company. And I was just like, I bet I could do this myself, right? So I started off originally as an IT recruiter working out of somebody's garage. The guy did about $7 million in revenue. And so I got to kind of shadow him, see the decisions that he was making. And then I led like the offshore team in India. And so I had a little bit of management just to touch, talk to some clients, blah, blah, blah. And then ended up going over into the healthcare staffing spaces where I'm currently at travel nursing specifically. But yeah, so then I got to see they were a $25 million company the year that I worked there. And then I only worked there for one year. 
I had two years of total staffing experience before I started my own company, which looking back is like, dude, what? That's like not enough experience. <laughs> but at the time I was like, I could do this, man. And, and I totally can. And I've done it, which is exciting. But it's just funny to see how much stuff I don't know and like constantly going into that and learning new things and being professional and being on the phone with a client in a situation I've never been before and accidentally pissing somebody off and then having to go put out that fire and whatnot. So just like learning trial by fire, basically, which is a lot of times they say the best way of learning. So I do very much enjoy it. But the million dollars my first year is an awesome number, but I do, it was a gold rush, right? 2020, it's COVID. The company that I started was working for called Springboard. That was the healthcare staffing firm in 2020 is while I was there. And yeah, I lost, I had probably 20 people traveling for me. And in one fell swoop, they all got canceled. All the hospitals were scared. They didn't know what was going to happen. People were panicking. Then the government came out with like, hey, we're just going to start printing money. Um, and so the hospitals are like, all right, well, let's just offer these crazy contracts to nurses to get them to New York. Or obviously that was like the first place that the pandemic had hit. And so the company got lucky. We had a couple of pandemic contracts. And then I started refilling my stable of nurses, if you will. But it came and went pretty quickly. They worked three-month contracts. So off of those, I probably sent 10, the most in the company, to New York. And yeah, so I got a couple of nice little paychecks. I had an egg, a cushion to start my own business. I looked at how much money that I had made for the company that year. It was $2 million. I looked at my paycheck and I was like, what the? No, like I made six figures. That's, <laughs> there's an extra figure that's missing, dude. What's going on here, right? So I ended up going and finding clients on my lunch break saying, hey, do you need help staffing? And it's COVID, right? So everyone's just like, yeah, do you have a pulse? Like sign this contract. Let's do it. So pretty easy to bring on new clients back then. And yeah, I mean, I just started trying to make placements for these new clients and it became crossroads, right? Where it was like, okay, I could fail at both, right? Like I'm not making any placements for my job and I'm not really making any placements for my company. So what do you want to do? I could take the risk and go with my company, but maybe it doesn't work out. I could stay at my job, but if anybody gives me a weird eye, my one foot's already out the door. So like I'm kind of being pushed just further and further out the door. And yeah, I ended up deciding like, hey, let's burn the ships. Let's go all in. We'll quit the job. We'll do the recruiting. And I probably worked 12, 14 hour days for the first like six months or something, trying to get everything put together. And I don't know if I needed to work 12 or 14 hour days. I was just nervous and scared, right? Like that was the, let's just keep putting in more action and do whatever thing that I need to do to get the wheel turning. And it worked out really well. I mean, I don't know if I needed a million dollars to pay my rent, right? So it was, and that's, this is revenue, by the way, not profit. It's a little different, but I'm very proud of my first year for sure. That's incredible, man. Now, it sounds like you've been in the recruiting industry for quite some time. What was it about that industry that initially drew you in in the first place? <laughs> That's a great question, man. Funny story. So I turned down so many recruiting jobs. I got out of college and just couldn't find any jobs. It was a tough time for me. I was a little jaded. What happened? So recruiters would call me up all the time because I had my resume out there. And I was just constantly interviewing, putting my suit on, driving all over Arizona, and so many recruiters be like, man, you got a great personality. You've no experience. That was the thing that I was running into all the time. I would always get through to like the third round and people would go like, you're great. Awesome. Love the charisma, but like, we're going to go with the next guy. And so eventually 
this one recruiting company got me into a sales job and it was like base pay 40k plus some commission speak some spanish blah 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 and i got fired five days within for telling a donald trump joke and so i was actually kind of lucky because now i'm here right but at the time it felt terrible you know what i mean so and then I got fired, but that recruiting company was the seven million dollar guy that I uh, worked out of his garage. So he came and talked to me and said, okay. "Hey, man, like, why don't you try this?" And I was like, "Dude, I, I don't know, man. Can I make six figures?" And he was like, "I've got a couple people doing it right now." And I was like, "All right, let's check it out." So it was very like hesitantly, and yeah, now I'm five years into that career. So, so what did you go to school for initially that you were getting frustrated about not being able to land a job? Well, it was just I'm a millennial, right? I'm 33 in a couple months here, so. Everybody just said, get a college degree and they'll hand you a job. And so I was kind of entitled because my expectations were set to, hey, I have a business degree. But like now that I'm an employer, if I look at a kid with a business, what the hell does that mean? It means like, <laughs> it means nothing to me, right? And now I understand that. It was just that I was kind of sold a bill of goods that wasn't actually true. So I went through a little bit of a tough time for a while. I kind of feel like there's this grand awakening. So I'll be 33 in June. I went to college. I got my degree. I worked in a hospital setting. And a few months in, I felt duped. I'm like, yeah. what the heck is this crap? Right. And I'm not saying it was a bad job because there's a lot of good careers and people really enjoy what they do. And I think that's the important thing. If you enjoy what you do, you're passionate about it. Awesome. Stick with it. But for me, it's like it was so anticlimactic, right? Like you work and work and work and your whole life. It's go to school, get a degree, you graduate. It's one of the biggest moments of your life. I'm going to start making the most money in my life. Right. And I start working and I'm like, what is this? Like I get two weeks off a year. <laughs> I have to work like all these out like, and maybe that's some of that entitlement. Right. But I didn't feel like I should have just been given it for me. It's like, I realized that there was more, I realized that there was more potential and decided at one point just to put matters into my own hands. And I think that's where a lot of people around our age that choose to get into business start figuring it out because we went to school, we got the degree, we tried it a little bit and something just didn't resonate and didn't click. And for some people it does, but for a few select few of us, it doesn't. And I think that is our inner entrepreneur spirit. That little flame, right? is starting to ignite and it's starting to grow and catch um, but there's also a lot of opportunities that come about because of maybe that degree or those jobs that we started working in. For example, you just shared with us because of that degree, because of this recruiter, you got placed in this one company, it didn't work out, but it opened up an opportunity with this recruiting company that really jump-started your journey. Exactly. Exactly. And so, it's just so funny how God's plan works or whatever you want to call yeah. it. I think Napoleon said destiny. That was his thing, right? So. I think I would have ended up as an entrepreneur one way or another, right? So um, I think this is a pretty awesome lane to be in. Staffing as an industry has grown immensely over the last 10, 20 years, and especially the healthcare industry. It was the travel nursing specifically was growing leaps and bounds. And then COVID hit. Then it took this like enormous growth curve. And it's a little contracting quite a bit these days, but it's still the number one industry in staffing. So there's a lot of companies out there who have big aspirations to be, you know, $100 million firms and it's like the top 1%. So I just want to be one of those guys who actually does it. And so I'm reading everything that I can and going to all the conferences with the staffing healthcare companies, talking to the guys that did it and 
whatever information I can suck up. I want to be a student of the game. I don't think you can really see it, but I've got a picture of Kobe and Michael on the free throw line here together. And Kobe's kind of looking over to Michael like, all right, what do I got to give me the info, man? So that's next to my desk every day I work. I love it. What an awesome reminder. And it's speaking from someone that was in the medical industry, there's probably always going to be short staffed. There's always going to be a need for more physicians, nurses, other medical professionals. And so there's always going to be a need. There's always going to be a demand. So really excited to see what you're able to accomplish over these next few years. So walk our listener through. So you said you worked for a few years for this first recruiting company. What were some of the biggest learning curves within that first year? Because this isn't what you went to school for. This wasn't part of your plan, was it? No, no, not at all. (laughs) I mean, I went to school for business. So like, I'm in business, however that, but everything's a business, right? So yeah, what was the the learning curve for the first couple of years? Yeah, like what was, because this is a an, probably nothing you had ever intended in getting involved in, but you saw an opportunity, you decided to take it. What were some of those things that you went through early on? Because I would imagine recruitment, it's very much a sales job, right? So you might have a core foundation, but it's really, at the end of the day, it's up to you to perform. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, you write your own paycheck, right? So you're a commission-based life form, as I like to say. Yeah, I think some of the major things that I found was building relationships is what's really important in recruiting. So on the candidate side, as well as the client side, it's who you know, who you can connect and when you can connect them, right? So that's, I think one of the biggest lessons was learning how to increase your surface area for luck, right? So if you're only making one phone call a day, your surface area for luck, you're not really hitting that many touch points. So you've got like a really small surface area. And so if you make 100 phone calls, you're talking to a bunch of people, you're out there, you're networking, um, well, you have a much bigger chance of getting lucky and making that payday. So it's all about what you can do to expand your surface area. Would you consider yourself a natural born extrovert? Like talking to people and networking, does that come to you naturally? Or is that something that you've had to work on and learn to acquire? Yeah. When I was a <laughs> like a toddler, I used to wear a country crock, you know, that butter my family had eaten it, emptied it. And I used to wear it on my head all the time. Every time we'd have an empty country crock butter, I would put it on my head. So like I was always vying for attention and trying to be the class clown and whatnot. So yeah, it's, it's definitely comes natural to me. And I think that's part of why I keep going through all of the thick and thin, the heart of the good is I, at the core, love doing this. I mean, you say it's about getting attention and stuff, which might be part of it, but you've got to be a people person as well. So what are some of the skills that you've learned to really be able to connect with these people that you're trying to build relationships with? What am I trying to learn from them? It's just like their desires. Yeah. Like what have you, like what techniques has Jordan done to really be able to connect with these people? Sure. I think listening is the number one best thing that you can do for anybody in any sort of relationship, business or interpersonal is people want to feel like they're understood when they feel like they're understood that makes them happy. And then they associate that happiness with you, right? So if you're going to listen to somebody, you want to repeat what they're saying, oh, it sounds like you're upset because of X, Y, and Z. Does that sound right to you? So you check back in with them. And if they say, that's exactly it, then boom, you nailed it. And they say, no, it's actually more like this. Then you miss the mark a little bit and you need to switch what you're saying. Give that back to them until you can get that yes. Then they feel understood and then they feel happy and they associate the happy feelings with you. So that's what's really important. I mean, obviously, feeling understood is one thing, but then the next thing is giving them what they need. If they're looking for X, Y, and Z, you don't give them A, B, and C, right? 
those are kind of important two things. So to the the introvert that doesn't like networking, that doesn't like getting out, but they understand that it's what they need to do. It's what they need to do for their business. It's that next step. They want to push themselves a little bit. What's that one thing they can do at their next networking event that you think would help get them one step closer? Yeah. I mean, you're not the only introvert. You know what I mean? It was pretty tough and scary for even myself going into these different networking events where, oh, this guy sold his company for a hundred million, 700 million, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I had no experience. It just started off yesterday. Nice to meet you. Right. So it can be pretty nerve wracking, even for an extrovert. So don't worry about that, man. I think it's a certain kind of therapy that Jordan Peterson does. I can't remember, but when you get exposure therapy, so just go and do one, you know what I mean? Just go and shake somebody's hand at a networking event. Specifically, everybody's out there to talk to everybody. So if somebody's rude to you, that person is an asshole. Like it's not you, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pretty <laughs> simple. Not, yeah. You're not the loser in the situation. The guy that's being mean is the loser in the situation. So, and when you connected with these people that sold their businesses, made, um, I mean, multimillionaires, and I'm going to make an assumption here, probably guys that if you just looked at on the street, you probably wouldn't know that they were no multimillionaires. Yeah, you have no so idea. So, what did you find when you actually started connecting with these other business owners? Um, it's crazy, man. Just when you're an entrepreneur, you have to kind of take the road less traveled, right? And so everybody in today's society is like, oh, billionaires are evil and millionaires are just stealing everybody's. But it's like so insanely the opposite of that. I met one billionaire that I know of, at least. And it was the nicest guy that I've ever met in my entire life. He's at the top of our industry. And I fangirled out a little bit <laughs> and got a picture with him and everything. The guy was just like so generous. But that's a consistent theme among everyone is everyone has been super nice and only like broke people asking for spare change at the gas station. You don't give them a dollar. They'll say, fuck you. You know, like these are the rude people and the not so nice people, the people that climb to the top. It's like Joe Rogan always talks about the chimpanzees, right? Like there are chimp kings that rule through violence, but those guys always get violently taken out by like a pair of. You know, they'll get sick and then two other male chimpanzees will go like kick his ass or whatever. The king of the chimps world is the guy that can connect, bond, have the relationship with all of the different chimps. That's the guy who lasts, right? And so, yeah, you can get a couple of Sam Bankman freeds who become the richest guy in the world, but then they crash and burn out because they're stealing, lying, and cheating. But the guys that stay there at the top are there for a reason. It's because they scratch everybody's backs. They're providing value. People are voluntarily giving them money because they're getting value in return, right? Like this is the nature of capitalism. It's like the only moral, I don't mean to get into politics, man, but like capitalism is the only moral system of societal organization. And it's unfortunate that there's a few of those rotten apples that like, when people think of wealth, when they think of successful business, that's who they have in mind. And in my experience, like some of the most generous people I've ever met, some of the nicest people I've ever met have also been the wealthiest people financially I've ever met. So there's a common theme there. There's a common thread. And I appreciate you bringing this up because that's one of the reasons of having this show. We've had entrepreneurs and business owners on here that have done anywhere from a million in year in revenue upwards to a hundred million year in revenue. So when you're talking about the valuation of these companies, you're talking about anywhere from a $5 million company upwards to a half a million dollar company and everything in between. And they are so eager to share their experience, their knowledge on the show for other aspiring entrepreneurs. You'll realize that once you get into this space, 
I asked you the question about what was your experience connecting with these business owners? Because I experienced a very similar thing in my industry. So when I got into real estate investing and learning how to buy large apartment buildings, there's guys I was rubbing shoulders with and talking to before I knew what they had just sold or what they owned. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking dad jeans, new balance sneakers. <laughs> <some like laughs> Those are the killers, looking, man. This is a shitty looking polo, right? Yeah. I'm to find out they're owning like $250 million worth of real estate. And it's like, holy crap. Like, and they just spent the last 20 minutes just talking to me as the new guy. Right. And here's actually a strength. If you are going to a networking event, which listen, the first networking event I ever went to, I sat down in my seat. I didn't speak to a single person and I got so uncomfortable when everyone else got up and started shaking hands. Yep. I consider myself more of that extroverted introvert. Like it, takes time for me to warm up to people and knowing that that's why i have a handlebar mustache now because it helps break the ice so we can get that conversation rolling even quicker but at that first event i went to i was a guy that sat down in my seat and i didn't network with anyone and so that was a learned skill that was something i had to you stated exposure therapy each event i went to i got more and more out of my comfort zone i set a number of how many people I wanted to talk to, how many contacts I wanted to exchange. And that helped push me out of my comfort zone. And there are some incredible opportunities presenting themselves today because of those relationships I started making three or four or five years ago. So if you're listening to this and you're not a networker, it's okay, but you need to get out and you need a network. You need those relationships. You need those connections. And as you build that arsenal, if you will, of relationships and connections, more and more opportunities will begin presenting themselves. But what I found is when I was talking to these guys, same thing, some of the most generous people you will ever meet. And it, for me, shifted my mindset. And I never thought like wealthy people were evil and taking advantage of everyone. But you do kind of have that thought because that's a lot of what you hear and a lot of what you see and a lot of other people's belief systems, even as inaccurate as they are, that's how some of us were raised or we heard of it. So get out there, meet successful business owners and get out of your comfort zone. You'll be amazed at what can happen when you do that. So awesome. Well, listen, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we get back, want to get more into depth of your decision to really leave, like what was it that made you decide to really burn the ships and start your own company without having a degree in this? And so we'll get back to that in just a few short moments. Hey folks, I got my good friend, Julie Holly here to share with you something exciting. She has coming up here in a few weeks that I myself will be participating in. And I was actually able to talk to my wife into joining me as well. So super excited for it coming up. But Julie, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your event you have coming up. Awesome. The Conscious Investor Growth Summit is coming up and it is really the charcuterie of all events. Instead of drilling down into one isolated topic or asset class like self-storage, multifamily, crypto, you know, whatever, mindset, health, we're wrapping it all in one. And this is a powerful opportunity for you to like just nourish and replenish. And to Dallin's point, bring your spouse, bring your partner along. We're talking about everything from tax strategies, building credit, buying businesses, investing in assisted living facilities and other real estate to gut health and having our health as our wealth, being hyper-focused, making mental breakthroughs. 
It's really that place. It's the refueling station. And what is best, it's in the gorgeous Coeur d'Alene, Idaho at the resort right there on the lake. So you break free from the hustle of the metro areas so you can enjoy nature, walk on the beach because it's right there at the door or take a trail run. So you're really able to break free and renew yourself completely. Definitely looking forward to it. So folks, go to ConsciousInvestorGrowthSummit.com. Check it out. You'll see what we're talking about. And Julie has some incredible discounts going on for our community. So if you use my first name, Dallon, D-A-L-L-O-N, as a promo code, you'll see those incredible offers that she has for you. Awesome. Thanks, Julie. We look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. And we'll get back to our show. All right, Jordan. Welcome back to The Millionaire Mind. So Jordan, share with our listener... What led you to take that ultimate jump and starting your own company? Yeah. Yeah. Listener, just one. Is there only one person listening to this? I feel like you have a pretty good audience, man. You got a couple we, people? We got pretty good. We got pretty good audience. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Man. I'm just teasing. Um, yeah, dude. So why did I take the leap? I mean, honestly, this is kind of funny and maybe kind of tragic. I don't know. But like, my dad is... I don't know, 55, 60 years old and still struggling with the same issues, jumping. He's in the real estate industry. I think he's like a loan officer or something. He's worked at every single loan officer company that you can in Arizona, like 50 of them. I don't know the number is, but just like crazy because he's unhappy. This manager said this, this lady's a bitch or whatever, excuse my language, but like just constantly having these problems, man. And so I was running into some of that stuff where I was a level one employee bringing in the money for the company and doing pretty decent. My numbers were getting up there on the boards and I still wasn't enjoying it. Like I, I was seeing out into my future being my dad, being 55 and 60 and having these same problems, making the six figures and just going like, I'm not happy this sucks. And it was really eye-opening because I got to Springboard. That was the company that I was at before I transitioned to my own company. And I loved it at Springboard, absolutely loved it, loved everybody there, but I still wasn't happy. So when I first started my professional career post-college, I just figured one company I was unhappy at, it was just the company. Two companies I was unhappy at, that was just the company. Three companies, ah, man, I got to go find the right company. Found the right company. No, no, no. I just don't belong working for someone else. That was how my eyes opened and the genesis of starting Wayward Medical Staffing is what we're called. Something was just lacking. Something was missing. And then you didn't quite know what it was. And it just took that time to figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. I wish I had somebody near me that could just like bump me on the shoulder and go, hey, entrepreneurship. <laughs> um, but I had to figure it out for my own. And sometimes that's the best way to learn. So this has come up quite a bit. And I've had this conversation quite a bit with our generation versus maybe our parents and especially our grandparents. Incredible work ethic right? They'll go to work. They'll work from 6 a.m., 6 p.m. in a job that they absolutely hate. They're absolutely miserable, but they'll stay there for 20, 30, 40 years. And for us, we're like, nah, screw that. Like, Why why would I put myself through that? There's got to be something better. I don't know if you've had conversations or thought of this before, and I don't have an answer for it, but why do you think that is? I don't know, man. That's a tough one. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a ton of thoughts on that, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's just funny because you, you uh, I think it's just very generational. And I think access to information and technology has changed a lot of things. Yeah. I think personally, with the ability, I mean, people can start 100% online businesses. And so you don't need to live in a specific area necessarily. Some jobs you do if you physically need to be there. And I think a lot of us 
have been watching since we were kids and kind of asking why. And I think our parents and our grandparents, like, you don't ask why, you just do it because you were told to do it. So I think there is this more of a, I don't want to say discipline, but more just like follow the man, follow that authority figure, just do it because I said so. Mm. And even though people talk a lot of crap about our generation and our ability to not, or disability to not be able to just be okay or settle with stuff, I think it actually be a strength for us. Like the reason we're asking like, but why? I think that's led to a lot of shifts and changes in the industry and opened up a lot of opportunities for people. So I don't know. I don't have something. It's all just thoughts, theories, but it's something that I've noticed. Like the older generation seemed to just be okay and ride with stuff, even though it wasn't bringing them joy or happiness. And I think for us, we're like, no, if I hate it, if it's making me miserable, I'm going to do something about it. So I don't know. It's just interesting. Different generational belief systems, I guess. Yeah, the internet has been kind of a great equalizer as far as entrepreneurship goes and and taking the power back. And it reminds me of the NBA a little bit where if you got drafted to a team, you're the superstar, you spend your whole career there. And then LeBron came and flipped that on its head by going to from Cleveland to Miami. And now all these superstars are nomads and it's you know, a lot of the old school guys say, oh man, they're so selfish. They just want them and their championships, but they want to bring championships to the team and they're just looking out for themselves just as the teams are, right? Like it's both sides have their own desires and values. And now that the superstar side has a little bit more power, people are getting a little upset. So that's, I think what you're saying is pretty spot on. Yeah. And I think, especially with social media, with podcasts now, you hear and see other people doing things that maybe before you thought was just a thought. You didn't think it was possible. And then somebody listens to this podcast, they hear two 30-year-olds going out and starting two successful businesses. Now it plants the seed of, well, maybe I can do that. So I think access to information and other people doing what you may have always wanted to do is a lot more easily accessible. Maybe there was a passion your dad wanted to follow, but he didn't know anyone else doing it. So he just kind of put it aside and just put his head down and kept doing the work. So yeah, it's it's hard to say. So, well, Jordan, you shared with us your 2030 goal, right? But as you reverse engineer this stuff, you probably have some other checkpoint, uh, some areas to measure on your way there. So within the next year, couple of years, what are some of those goals that you're hoping to accomplish with your company? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one goal that we just accomplished, I'm no longer hiring friends and family. That's okay. <laughs> we've made that mistake enough times. Tell us a little bit about that. I yeah. mean, must be a reason you brought that up. We're done now. Well, I'm getting my big boy pants on and hiring people who are experts in the field and can help us grow easily, quickly. They do this all the time. And it's just made my life so much easier. Instead of being the only brain in the company and like one brain with a thousand hands just telling, hey, we need this done and that done. I've got another brain that's even telling me, hey, you messed that up, right? Or let's do this better. And like the company's getting better because of that. And it's been absolutely incredible. But this don't hire your friends thing is a lesson that I should have just listened to the advice. Like this is like, everybody kind of knows this, I think intrinsically. And I'm like, no, I don't need to do that. No, I learned the lesson the hard way. So I think I should be taking in advice sage advice from people more often and not just uh thinking that i'm special you know what i mean so although i will say one of my best friends does work here and he's been freaking awesome but that's the exception to the rule i've hired many other friends and they have not worked out so (laughs) 
Awesome. So that's one of the things that you learned. And what's something big that you're shooting for within the next couple of years? Yeah. Next couple of years. I mean, they're really like revenue goals, right? So right now we have about 30 people working for us for about two and a half million dollars for revenue. So I would love to get to 5 million this year. I also would have loved to get to 5 million last year, but I stayed at 2.5, right? And that was an internal hiring issue. And so hopefully we'll have that figured out and we can get to that five this year. It's a big number. Doubling in sizes, not many companies do that. I think the staffing industry uniquely, you're able to grow and scale pretty quickly. But yeah, that's my biggest goal this year is to put a solid internal team together to raise that nurse level to 30, 40, 50, 60 and keep them around. So that's what I'm looking at. You got to get those A players on your team. Got to get the A players. And as a business owner, you can't be the only brain. You can't be the only one calling all the shots. And once you have that second brain and other people to really step in and help out, I would imagine a lot less stress this year than you were last year. Oh my God, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Um, Having my buddy that works here, he's taken so much off of my plate. And then this one new employee that I've hired has just been, she came in and last year I hired two people for three months. They didn't make $1 for the company. And then this year, the new hire probably hasn't been realized yet. I don't want to count all my eggs before they hatch, but probably at least $100,000 she's brought in and it's been a month, right? So incredible. Um, just absolutely you incredible can, difference. In my experience, you find out and you know pretty dang quickly. So with these ones that you kept on for three months and didn't raise a single dollar. Were there indicators, were there signs early on that that you you picked up on, but you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, you're giving them a chance, you're extending? Yeah, dude, it was rough, man. I was like, I'm a millennial. I'm the new generation. Working from home is good. So I just like hired, like, go ahead and work from home. I hired people from like one of the biggest companies in the industry. So I figured, oh yeah, they're going to be great. But the way that huge companies like that work is they're a cog in a giant machine and they do this one task over and over and over again. It's not a cog type of thing at this small business that I run out of my house, right? You got to do everything. You got to get your hands dirty. So I learned that I needed people like that. But yeah, going into it, man, I had them work in California and I never saw what they were doing. I mean, there was the accountability calls and we checked in all, listened to all the YouTube videos about how to hire people remotely, but I've never even hired people before. Why am I like doing it on hard mode, right? Like, let's just do easy, normal before we go to some high level stuff that's, I've not even accomplished the first thing. So that was like another mistake that I had made. And I think the biggest thing that I learned from hiring these guys, I was guilting myself like, oh, I got to keep them on for three months. It's only fair to them. And like, they were kind of telling me these things, right? And I wasn't listening to my bank account, my intuition, my anything else, but just like, well, what's fair to the people? Because I'm a people person and I want to be a good boss, a good leader, a, a good businessman, I guess you would say. And it wasn't until I was talking with another entrepreneur and I was kind of telling him my headaches and my pains. And the guy's like, dude, you got to get rid of these people like yesterday, man. Like this, you sound like me five years ago. We got to get this done. And not like, I still was like, no, 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 I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta be fair to these guys. And man, I wish I had just taken that guy's advice that like that night and called him up and just said, Hey man, it's not working out, but it's, you gotta learn it the hard way the first time. But now I'm more liable, likely to take the advice from other entrepreneurs. So if anybody out there is listening, man, take the advice. In my experience, you often know for quite some time 
before you actually let someone go. And I think the business owners that have experiences that have gone through it, as soon as they start feeling that, they make the cut, they make the split because they know they've been through it where they've kept people on longer than they should have. And they start realizing how it's damaging the culture of the company, what it, what it's doing to the resources and the money. But I think as a business owner, somebody could tell you, hey, you need to do that, but still you need to go through, like you need to figure it out for yourself. Like you said so yourself. This guy said, hey, you need to get rid of them yesterday. And you're like, well, no, 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 no. Like you were still <laughs> justifying it. But at some point you had to come to that decision and right. you realize, and then when you did, as hard as it may have been, what was the experience immediately following that? Well, immediately following? Yeah, it was tough, man. I've never, I mean, I guess I was the manager of a sandwich shop and had to let people go back <laughs> in the day, but not quite the same, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it was tough. I had a guy who was 45 years old, had four kids, a dog, a wife, that whole deal, and he let me have it. Oh, you go fire me and I have all these things. And it was like, you're not making any money for the company. You probably knew this was, you should have known this was coming if you didn't know, you know what I mean? So yeah, just how manipulative people can be, I guess was a little disappointing. Maybe not even how manipulative people could be, how open to manipulation that I was and how easily guilted I was into things. And I was guilting myself. It's not even necessarily that they were on my case telling me that they should be hired for longer, but yeah, there was just a lot of internal and emotional things going on where I, hey, let's look at the Excel spreadsheet and see the numbers. And if it's not there, it's not there. And like, there's, yeah. there's nothing personal yeah. here, yeah. right? It's just like, hey, man, like not working out. Go try it somewhere else. And I think that's why it's important to have KPIs, key performance indicators, and have those expectations on those conversations up front. Because in 90 days, when you revisit, or maybe it's a 30 day, say, hey, this is my expectation for 30 days. You both agree to it. They have something they can follow. If they're not hitting it in 30 days, it's like, look, we talked about this. We talked about this when we thought it was going to work out. It's not working out. It's not personal, right? But we've got a business to run. And those expectations, those needs are not being hit. And in this business, in our company, everybody needs to be carrying their weight and doing their job. Because if one doesn't, then it affects the way the rest of the machine is operating. So if you have that conversation with this new hire early on, and you have those key performance indicators, not that it's, I guess it makes it a little bit easier to have the conversation, but I think it helps take a lot of the emotion out of it. Cause then it's like, look, this has nothing to do with you personally. Here's the data. Here's the numbers. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, and for me, it was like one of the biggest takeaways was it's a two way street, right? Yeah. Like I can be a good boss, but they also got to be a good employee. Right. Yes. And if they're not holding up their end of the bargain, then I'm not necessarily still chained to this good boss idea that I have, right? And yeah. I don't have to be their boss at all. Uh, and I probably shouldn't be their boss if this person's poking you in the eye with a hot stick, right? So yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> learning to set, it's learning to set boundaries for yourself as a business owner. So awesome. Well, Jordan, this has been incredible. And fortunately, we're already up on time. And as we wrap this up, there's four questions I'd like to ask every guest at the end of every show. And the first one being is, what is one absolute book recommendation for those looking to scale and further develop their millionaire mind? Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about people. I've got a couple books that come to mind immediately, but the one absolute, my favorite, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, Who Not How. I've read like his yeah. whole series, The Gap in the Gain. There's a couple more here. I'm not going to spend my time looking for them, but... Yeah, Who Not How is my number one book, especially for right, right now. That is an incredible book. Is that backwards on the camera? 
No, no, okay, it's good. Well, it's backwards <laughs> for me. So, all right, good, good. Like, I'm glad. Ow, 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 ton. Yeah. No. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all the listeners awesome. are like, this guy's an idiot, man. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan, what has been one of your favorite quotes that you've embodied and lived by? Yeah, so that recent hire that came on and just started knocking it out of the park, right? I had some nervousness about talking to a client about a situation that we had. She wrote this down on the board. I've got it written down all over my house now. The idea popped into my head. I should get this tattooed, but like, I don't know if I'm really that on it. You know what I mean? But I've really liked this recently. Start doing the necessary, then do what is possible. And suddenly you're doing the impossible, right? So if you have this big, hairy, audacious goal right now, just do what's necessary. Don't worry about doing impossible stuff. Just do what's necessary right now. Start doing it. Then do what's possible. And then all of a sudden, you're on a roll. And suddenly, you're doing the impossible. So absolutely love that quote. Love it. Love it. And that takes time. It takes consistence. It takes persistence. And uh, sometimes you got to roll with the punches as an entrepreneur and you got to learn from your own mistakes, but it's souls that get back up and keep going consistently that get to where they want to go. Awesome. Jordan, if there was one thing you could share with fellow business owners that are beginning or simply trying to get to that next level, what would it be? Yeah. That first entrepreneur that I worked out of his garage, he had told me, and it didn't make sense to me at the time. So for the newbies here, maybe I'll try to like, help you out with it. So he was like, you just got to do the thing. Whatever the thing is, just go and do it. And I was like, okay, like I got to go wipe my butt or wash my hand. Like, what are we talking about here? Right. But it was so funny because people have so many emotional connections to, I'm scared that if I go and do networking, this guy's not going to talk to me. Or there's all of these different fears and anxieties that people have. And just go do the thing. Go up and make eye contact with the guy and you shake his hand and he'll be nice. You know what I mean? Just whatever that thing is, go get it done. That's the action. And it's not even massive action. It's like, hey, this Excel spreadsheet needs to be filled out. So like, put the numbers in tonight and then go to bed. But whatever that task is, just knock it out real quick. And that was probably from zero to one, zero to a million, zero to I'm at 2.5 right now, whatever. That has been the number one rule of being able to be successful for me is not putting off tasks. Just do it right now. Knock it out. It's fine. Now that I'm here, I'm starting to and have employees and stuff. I'm starting to learn that I shouldn't take so much action. We should sit, wait, find out all the information, make a clear decision. It's a lot more owl than it is dolphin, I guess you would say. So yeah, if you're going from zero to one, just make the move, take the action. Yeah. And stop procrastinating. Like we know, you know what you need to do. You know, like it's been on your mind. You've been thinking about it for quite a while. And yet you keep finding other things to do and saying that you're being productive, justifying your actions because you're keeping busy, but you're not doing that thing. Just freaking do it. Just yeah, freaking no, do it. Get it done. My original website was five bucks a month off Wix or whatever, right? And it was just literally a one pager that said, I'm a business. That, that was it, man. So people can look me up online and say, oh, this is a legit thing. And yeah, this is like it doesn't matter if it's good. Please don't make it perfect. Perfect is the enemy of the good. Just get it done. Just get it done get quick, it done. dirty, and move on. Awesome. Jordan, how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to reach out? Yeah, if you just want to find me on LinkedIn, Jordan Tallman, T-A-L-L-M-A-N, like a man that's tall, but I'm only 5'11", so I'm really not that tall. <laughs> But um, yeah, just reach out to me there and we can get in touch. Awesome. And for what it's worth, you're tall to me, Jordan. I'm 5'8". So. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I, appreciate, <laughs> I feel good about myself. Now. I appreciate it. 
Awesome. Look, this has been an incredible conversation with Jordan. And if this is your first time listening, I'm so glad that you tuned in. People have been asking me what my company does. So since I have you here listening to my show, I'll share that with you now. So my company partners with busy professionals just like Jordan that are looking to experience significant tax savings, have more to invest, and even reinvest their hard-earned capital. And we work with other successful business owners like you by offering them opportunities to invest alongside us in large apartment deals. At Rev Equity Group, we have found that most successful business owners have a strong desire to give and to serve. And we simply provide a vehicle to enable them to grow and preserve their wealth so they can give of their time and financial success more abundantly and freely. If you've been frustrated with the stock market, want to grow capital and something you can actually touch and see and invest in one of the most recession resilient asset classes, then you can find out how I could serve you by visiting investwithrev.com forward slash resources. It can be overwhelming vetting the right investment and the right operator, but at Rev, we make apartment investing easy. Well, Jordan, again, thank you so much, man, for coming on and just sharing your story. And I definitely got some motivation from it. And a lot of the stuff you talked about, especially around hiring and firing, really resonated with me because that's some stuff that we're going through currently as a company. So it's absolute pleasure. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Is that what they call it? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Dude. But seriously though, this has been a ton of fun, man. I'm looking forward to the uh, entrepreneur's dinner that you're going to be holding and let's stay in touch, man. Let's do this again. Yeah, absolutely. And to our listener, remember, you can't have a million dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. So go out there and earn your win for today. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Hope you got value from this episode of The Millionaire Mind, a journey into the mindset of successful business owners. If you want to get results, you've got to take the right steps to get there. Dallin hosts a free weekly educational webinar focused on teaching you how to start investing in apartments so you too can experience the benefits of real estate ownership without doing any of the heavy lifting. There you can gain insights, connect with others like you, and ask Dallin all your burning questions about how you can start owning apartments today. Go to themillionairemind.us. That link is in the show notes.